Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog podcast. And we've got our good friend, Brent Dreyer, joining us again all the way from Melbourne via Zoom. Hey, brother. Hey, man. Good to see both of you. Both looking uh, fit and trim and healthy and happy. So good to be on it's again. Like, it's I, like I, Groundhog I Day, bro. It's great to have you on. But unfortunately, <laughs> we're all back in under, you know, these terrible, you know, lockdown circumstances. So... Uh. But we'll make the best of a bad situation. I'm I'm looking forward to doing one in studio with you boys uh, soon, mate, you know? I can't wait. Have have a real beer together. Exactly. Yeah, we were supposed (laughs) to go to Pat's thing like last month and that obviously hit the In fact, the heavy lockdown hit the skids like pretty much a week before that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was was actually coming up for that one as well. There you have it. Mm. That's all right. I didn't get my refund, so I'm still waiting for the next one. And I'll be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I'm not in 2050. Games. I want to go to it next time. <laughs> yeah, it's worth waiting. It's worth waiting for Pat. Exactly. Well, you've been well, my bro. How? How? Like you know, considering the times, you know, since we spoke to each other last, like you're looking good as well. So, um, it's good to see you. But everything all good on your end? Yeah, everything's really good down here. So, um, yeah, obviously I'm down in Melbourne, so we're in lockdown uh, number six at the moment. So we've ticked a few boxes in regards to lockdowns, but you know, like for for us at the moment, um, it's no big drama at all. Like we're we're actually quite used to it. So when they sit there and say we're doing a five day snap lockdown, we kind of sit there and go, we know it's going to be two weeks straight off the top. Yeah. Um, this one's obviously extended out a fair bit, so um, which isn't good. But you know, for uh, for me and my um, mental health and that sort of thing, it's. Um, I've been here before, so I just try to focus on just doing little things every day and get a bit of exercise in. Um, you guys know that I enjoy doing a fair bit of jiu-jitsu, so there's obviously no jiu-jitsu. So uh, I've started... Um, Putting your dog in a lock? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mate. It's <laughs> really no fun with a choking the dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's no fun with a Malinois. They're too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So just, I've, I've just been uh, just hitting some weights and... Um, you know, getting a walk in each day and I've started to learn how to like jump rope. So I've learned to skip. Yeah, this so. time last year where you were tying ropes and now you're jumping yeah. them, eh? Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. All of my ones from last year, I've actually tied them all together. <laughs> so now I've got something to jump. So. That's hectic. Well, it's definitely really important to have like a structure, even without the structure of having your regular work, right? Like, yeah, it's super important. Like it doesn't matter w- how much you are aren't working you've got to give yourself some routine and have a reason to get out of bed in the morning because otherwise the days just blend into each other and it's like oh what are we doing yeah there's something that i saw on on facebook and the psychologist saying that this is some a strategy that he gives people that have have gone through trauma and obviously collectively we're going through our own own, um, uncomfort so he says instead of the fight flight and freeze response to just happen as an outburst or as a as like a, a reaction, he goes, fulfill the fight, flight and freeze. So for example, with the fight, you know, hit the bags, 
do your heavy exercises, you know, um, have a pillow fight or, you know, punch the, um, the mattress and things like that. Um, things like freeze would be like, do your meditation, your breathing, you know, hang out with your, with loved ones and things like that. And then also the flight to go for that run, go for a walk and, and be out in nature and things like things that fulfill that reaction so that it doesn't come up undesirably and basically everything that we do in dog training. But I thought it was really cool that um, how he explained it. What do you guys reckon of that? I like it. Yeah, I think that's pretty smart, actually. I haven't sort of heard it put that way, but, um, yeah, but it does make sense. If you're yeah. not – I think it's one of those things for, for me, and obviously in the sixth lockdown, if you don't have any tasks to focus on, you just get nothing done. Yeah. And it, they don't have to be – what I've found for me is they don't have to be big tasks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've – Terribly for me, the first thing that I started to do in this lockdown was um, I've been making some pies. So I've just make, been making these massive like steak, cheese and um, bacon pies and like a chicken and brie pie. <laughs> like a bacon They're egg. looking good too, bro. Yeah, I've seen them <laughs> on your Instagram, man. So you're obviously doing, you're doing something, right? <laughs> they look awesome. They taste awesome. And I'm like put on about three or four kilos. So. <laughs> COVID kilos. <laughs> right. So something, something's got to give. So I'm like, oh, well. I think I should start working out and do, doing something. Balance it out. <laughs> yeah, cut, cut back on the pies a smidge. <laughs> That's awesome, man. We'll keep it up, bro. It's looking good. You yeah, used to, fun. Wasn't that your job? Am I getting yeah, it mixed was, up? Yeah, no, nah, you're right. Yeah, I was a chef by trade for uh, in, my, in my younger days. You still so, got it. You yeah, still, got, still it. got it, mate. Still got it. Perfect. <laughs> Don't want to do it, but I've still got it. Exactly. Well, look, well, man, a today. It's life I, skill to have, you know? So. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I've, and it's. It's funny, actually. I, I enjoy cooking more now than what I did, um, you know, especially the last few years in the kitchen because it's not so stressful not and, you know, I can not enjoy work, it. Man. It's not work. Yeah, yeah so exactly. I still really enjoy cooking for people when I can. That's awesome. I remember well, when we used to have people over. Yeah, it's back in the day. <laughs> remember that life? <laughs> Bring the good old days back, please. All right, what, what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, I got on my list here. I thought it would be a good thing, like three different topics that kind of all tether in together, confidence building, leash reactivity, and focus and engagement. And I think, um, as I said, they're all tying together. So I think maybe we should start with talking about leash reactivity and then confidence building and focus engagement are kind of remedies and some remedies to that. So um, the first thing, well, leash reactivity, just for people that don't know what that means, it means that your dog usually reacts more when he's on the lead, especially when he sees other dogs or people or other prey like birds and stuff, um, and the dog barks, lunges. We It doesn't always mean that there's aggression. Aggression can be associated with it, but it doesn't always mean that. It's generally a frustration. So um, that's what leash reactivity means because usually when the dog's off the lead, we don't generally see those behaviors. So um, I want to – like we've spoken, spoken about different reasons why on the podcast, but today I want to hear – um, Brent, what do you reckon about leash reactivity? Of obviously something that we see often as dog trainers. Um, what's your take on why it happens and um, things that we can work on fixing it? I think it's a really good topic, and I think it's quite timely. We actually had a um, a Zoom consult yesterday, and we spoke about this exact thing. So, I think taking it all the way back, if you if you understand um, the concept of having your dog on a loose lead from a really, really young age, I think that actually really reduces the um, leash reactivity that you might get, you know? So for, for me, leash reactivity comes down to a dog being frustrated 
and then the activities that the dog does from that. So if I'm holding, you know, the examples I give us, if you and I were walking down the road and somebody's just holding onto the back of your hoodie long enough, at some stage, it's probably a little bit annoying. And then it gets, you know, then it gets really annoying. Then you're frustrated. And then the last thing you do is turn around and just elbow them in the head, right? Just to get them away from you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the actual loose lead walking component of our dog training that we do is vitally important. So that's the first thing I teach people to do. So does the dog understand how to turn um, tension off if it's on, but also making sure the client or the person sits there and, you know, for us, we hold the lead in our right hand and then we're, you know, rewarding with the left. And I want the left hand off the lead because what happens quite a lot is when you're teaching a client or a client just gets a dog, they'll hold the lead in the right and then the left hand sort of creeps down onto the lead. So between the right and the left, if you looked at your hands, that lead's actually beautiful and loose, but it's actually tight from the left hand to the dog's neck. So the dog is still on this tight lead. By doing that, you're actually causing frustration. Like it's going to be annoying, you know. If you have just a small little pebble in your shoe, you start out and it's not too bad. But, you know, you walk a kilometer and you're like, just bloody pebbles. Now it's really annoying. Even though it was small, it's now annoying. And then you stop and you kick it and you, you know, get it out of your shoe. So for me, the first thing I want to do in regards to leash reactivity is teach the dog that they can be on a really nice loose lead and go from there. If we do that correctly, I feel that most leash most leash reactivity actually doesn't happen. But when it has happened, I def- the first thing I do is I go back and I start to teach the dog to be on a nice loose lead. Yes. Look, and I guess that's really important. Loose lead walking and how, how we've explained on the podcast and what we talk with our clients is that it's our, it's our dog's job. So the part of the day that when that short lead is on, we're following rules. You stay on the left-hand side, you stop when I stop, when I release you, you walk with me. When we get to the park, put you on the long lead or whatever, that's where there's freedom to a certain extent. And then yeah. we do our structured walk. And then an, an analogy that I give is that if I, I say, if I was late running to the dog training session and I decided to speed to be on time, my offense would be that I broke New South Wales road rules. It wouldn't be because I was late to the, it wouldn't say you were late to dog training session. That's why you spit. And I yep. use that example. So when we're walking, go, look, these are the rules when the lead's on, the collar's on in the position, blah, blah, it's in context and dog's under command. And then even though he's seen the dog across the road and wants to lunge at it, we're really telling the dog, hey, but you're, you're breaking the rules. You're in front of me, the tension on, et cetera, et cetera. Rather than telling the dog, hey, you're incorrect for, lunging at the dog what do you think about that yeah i i think for me one of the things i try not people i try to not have people get hung up on is the dog actually being like in that heel position uh i can walk my dog on like a longer lead she walks faster than me so her natural gait she needs to taper that back anyway so like Mm -hmm. let's say if i walk five kilometers an hour a dog like you know her she probably worked walks at seven or eight kilometers an hour. If she's doing that and she's ahead of me, I don't have too much of an issue, but there's two things. She must not pull on the lead. But the other thing is she needs to check back in with me, you know, Mm. and by just sort of turning her head and go, Hey, we're still going this way. I'm like, yep, hundred percent. So then I don't have to 
monitor her. She monitors herself. And that also then comes into things like the leash reactivity, confidence building, and, you know, focus and engagement that we'll talk about a little bit later. So if my dog is walking past another dog or a lady pushing a pram or, you know, somebody who looks at my dog and kind of goes, oh, she looks a little bit like a wolf. I think she might steal my baby and run away or, you know, jump on top of me and rip my face off, which she doesn't because she's the cutest little thing in the world. But if, if I kind of get that vibe from somebody, then all I do is I bring her back to the heel position, which was, you know, that left-hand side. Um, if I need to, I can shorten the leash, but it's still loose. It still mm-hmm. must be loose. Yeah. And then I can, you know, I can then put that person to my right shoulder and then my dog's not going to be near them. As soon as I do something like that, though, um, if I sit there and I tell my dog close, which is her uh, command, and she comes back to that position, you'll see kind of people relax and go, ah, oh, the dog's no issue. He's got control of the dog. Yeah. But in regards to things like loose, loose, yeah, I can't even speak, leash reactivity, I think it's important that the dog understands how to turn the pressure off first before I even teach that. So if my dog is going to be on my left-hand side, I still need to make sure that the dog is on that loose lead all the time. So for me, that's the key. Um, What you're doing in regards to having the dog on your left-hand side and all that sort of stuff, and you talk about a short lead, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's like, I'm cool with that. I generally walk um, my dog on a six foot lead, but when the dog's closer to me, I just manually shorten it to whatever it is, three foot. Then the dog, you know, can walk a little bit ahead. Not so. I'm quite often I'm adjusting the leash as I go, um, which then gives the dog more freedom. But it still must be on that loose lead, you know. So if there's tension, then I'm teaching my dog to stop and turn around and just, you know, either wait for like you can wait for me. Or you can stop and come back, you know. So those are the options I give my dog. Yeah, it's hectic. That's good, good, good. Look, and when you say that we have our ways of engaging with our dog because we're at a level of communication with them. Yeah. And I guess the reason, and I totally agree that, yeah, the requirement of your dog being next to you can be much. I guess for me, the reason why I like to teach that is I kind of want to teach a dog at first, keep me in your peripheral vision. Like I'm kind of here-ish. And if we say, hey, don't let the dog pull, you know what most people do as soon as the lead's on, like they're already doing that. So it's obviously it's all about people training, right? But, um, But yeah, if we can teach a dog, look, these are the certain rules and there's many different ways to get to that. However, that's the priority we we meet. So when I do say, hey, focus back on me, you're looking at me, you're not looking at other dogs and you can't lunge at a dog if you're looking at me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that goes with, you know, There's a, I spoke about him last time, I think a guy called Jocko Willink, um, who's Love an ex-Navy SEAL. So he talks about discipline equals freedom, and I talk about this all the time. So um, the more discipline my dog has to not chase other dogs or not go and investigate, you know, people as we're walking past them, the more freedom she can have. You know, so realistically, I can walk her off lead and she doesn't go over and see people or dogs or chase kangaroos or, you know, any of those sorts of things. So because she has the discipline to, and that's, when I say discipline, that's not me telling her off, that's self-discipline and her choosing not to do that. You know, the discipline is is that um, if I don't go over and see those people, then I can have more freedom. So exactly, I think what you're sort of saying, Panos, like, when we first start off, 
I'm rewarding the dog on my left-hand side over and over and over and over and over. And then as they start to hang out there more, then they get that little bit more freedom, you know? So now I don't mind if you're, you know, three steps ahead of me or a meter ahead of me, but you've got the discipline to be able to not just run off and chase things or, um, you know, you're still checking in with me at some stage. Well, Shadow's how old now? Eight months, seven months? Nine. Nine months. And, you know, so you've come into it knowing exactly what to do straight from the beginning and shaping him and showing him. And what's he like on the lead now? Cause it's been a while since I've seen him. You walk past the people and dogs. What's his, what's your go-to Luke? Yeah, it's, it's actually, um, we we've already started to, um, move into that other topic we were going to, you know, talk about, which is focus, right. And like inward focus. And I did a, I was speaking with, I did a zoom session with a client today and there was a 12 week old puppy and she was saying, like, when we walk down the street, the dog is constantly trying to get to everyone. Now, that's one side of the coin. The other side is that a cute puppy is very um, attention-grabbing from the perspective of other people and other dogs, mostly people, right? Oh, cute, Frenchie, I want to pat it, all that kind of stuff. And I said to her, you got to begin with the end in mind. Do you want a dog that is constantly looking for reinforcement and um, validation and attention outside the pack or outside the group that you guys are, you are, you know what I mean? You and the dog, you are a group, you are a pack. If you want a dog that constantly looks for that attention, looks and is super, you know, like looking to be interested in whatever else is on the street, as opposed to focusing on the handler, then that's how you create a dog like that. And Shadow used to be very much like that. Mm. And I had to pump the brakes quite a bit with him. Um, But I've, I've taught him like he's, he, he, his heel is pretty good now, like nine months old. I don't expect him to be perfect. He's still, we're still working on his impulse control around. He's good definitely at a certain distance, but like if people get close enough, you know, for example, like if I'm waiting at, at the cafe with for a coffee or something like that, if a person gets close enough, like he's still too young to really understand that impulse control but overall, he's very good. Now, in terms of his loose leash walk, um, I taught it in a way that it's like an on-off switch. So I can turn his, he has a command for loose leash walk, which is heel. And I don't expect him to do it unless I've actually told him. And then I turn it off as well. I, and you'd I give release him. Break him. Command. I give you, I tell break. him break. Yeah. So he knows, for example, if and, and I'll do it intermittently throughout the walk. So I don't, I don't make him heal all the way, all the time. When I tell him break, he's allowed to pull into the leash. He's allowed to wee, he's allowed to sniff, but that's on my terms. And I turn it on and off as, as I want to. Basically. Good point. That's awesome. Yeah. One of the things I really like that you said, Luke, is that like, he's too, like he's too young. Mm-hmm. I think for a nine month old dog, I feel that a lot of people put so much pressure on their dogs yeah. to be whatever they want at, nine months or six months or four months. I mean, Mr. Smith, our Roddy, he's, he's 18 months now or around about 18 months. Uh, you know, his, his loose lead walking is beautiful. Like he walks really, really nicely on the lead, <clears throat> but he'll see a specific dog, a, a dog. And it could be today. It could be a golden retriever tomorrow. It could be a spoodle. The next day it could be a German, like it, just a dog. And he'll walk past nine dogs, but the tenth dog is like, oh, 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 my God, it's a dog. I want to go and see him. And he gets so excited. Like, 
we call him the joy bringer because he's just such a lover. He's just such a ripper of a dog. Um, but that's it. He's 18 months, but he's just still immature, you know? So we, we're really mindful of those sorts of things. We don't want to tell him off. It's not like we need to then sit there and squash that behavior from him. We're just like, no, mate, you just can't go and say hello. So now he just, he's better and better and better and better. Whereas previously as a younger dog, um, when we got him, we actually kind of went into lockdown not far or not long after we got him. So he wasn't seeing people and wasn't seeing dogs and all those sorts of things. So as he started, as we got out of lockdown and we actually had to move out of our house for a little bit. So as we got out of lockdown and he started to see dogs, like every dog for him was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. So through you know time and repetition and reward systems and all those sorts of things. I mean, it's walking past the majority of dogs now, just like, ah, oh, whatever, I don't care, you know, but I think sitting there and saying, you know, how oh, my dog is a little bit young or my dog is a little bit immature. It's a really, really smart way to put it as opposed to, oh, he's naughty or he doesn't get it. It's like, yeah. you know, how much responsibility do we need to put on our dogs? Yeah. Yeah. He's still, he's, he's a teenager. Like I wouldn't mm. expect a 12, 13 year old. I remember what I was like when I was 13, 14, you know, I didn't listen to my <laughs> mom or my dad. So why would I expect him to? I don't. But in so se- I know, I know his critical distance for, for focus. You know what I mean? It might be 10 meters, for example, yeah. or five meters but I know what that distance is and I'm, I'm constantly aware of that. And I remind my clients of that as well. It's like, you've got a puppy, like for the next two mm. years or, you know, thereabouts, mm. your dog is, is, is very young in the head. He's not mature. Yeah. Yet, yeah. You've got 15 years with this dog. Like what's mm. the rush? Yeah. Yeah. Look, and in saying that without it being an excuse for people, because before you know it, the nine month old, the 18 month old, and it's like, Oh, well, he's my baby, blah, blah, blah. And we know the route that that could go. And maybe people listening may, you may be an opportunity to catch yourself out to be that, have the expectation, like have your foundation. So stick with it. Like whatever it is that you decide, like the most fundamental thing for me anyway, and what I teach people regardless of age is get used to having your dog on the left-hand side, merely because in Australia, walk on the left-hand side of the path. Let's just keep them on the outside. That's not that for the four to six month old dog to understand, but it's just you reminding yourself, oh yeah, left, oh yeah, left. Mm. And then, you know, like, yeah, he's, you know, six, seven months old. Yeah, I'll let him jump up onto people. But then you're upset with him three months later when he's knocking over the girl, you know, like so consistency yeah. on your half. Yeah, know where your dog's at at what age and like expectations, like true expectation, but still, and when you said about discipline, I love how you said it because people say, oh, do you discipline your dog or discipline your child? And what they mean is do you apply punishment? But discipline is about adhering to your structure, rules, routines, rituals, whatever it is that you do every, on a daily basis. Yeah, discipline would be, yeah, and if he's done the right thing, we may give him a treat. Like Leonardo's just learned, he's two years old, he's learned the word treat means like, you know, something special and that wasn't my doing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't particularly like that, but it is what it is. But so tonight, because yeah. he had cake last night and the night before was like a kinder surprise, first time ever. So then tonight I was like, treat, treat. I'm like, oh, well, treats happen sometimes. So like, you know, tonight you don't get the treat, but you'll still get like something after, like we'll still have fruit, whatever. But yeah, the treat. So discipline in that regard would be adhering to that. And discipline is about keeping up with what it is because yeah, leash reactivity can mean so many things. And we've talked generally about frustration. What about when the dog's feeling fearful and scared and he's reacting because he's trying to keep things away from him? Let's kind of delve into that because a lot of the times um, 
most react like you know loud dogs that you see are the ones that are insecure right they don't know what to do yeah. on the leash and yeah. let's hear brent what, what you reckon about the dogs that are fearful why are they barking when other dogs come past and things like that yeah i think there's a good saying in the dog world it's like you don't you don't dogs don't grow out of behavior they grow into behavior mm. so um one of the things for me that I do with whether it's a puppy or a you know three-year-old German Shepherd that comes down who's got who's fearful is I want to make the dog tougher. I want to make them more confident. And to start off with, again, it's one of those things of I look at the dog and I see what they can and can't do. Can the dog, when they're out for a walk, can they jump on things? Can they go over things? Can they go under things? A lot of these dogs that show all of these fear type behaviors can't mm. like if there's a park bench, can the dog jump up on that or are they happy to, or do you have to really coax them up? Do they have enough trust in, you know, mum or dad to be able to, if I sit there and say to a dog, Hey, jump on this. They're like, Oh, I don't think so. I don't really trust you. That's a good point, man. I love that. Yeah. So I find that I find that is a, can be quite a good diagnostic tool because as you sort of sit there and say, like, the fear that dogs have comes from a lack of confidence. You, the same as like a, the same as a bully at school, you know, they bully people because it comes from a lack of confidence. Right. So with my dog, I want to make them tougher. I want to make them more confident. So how do I do that? I'll do things like, can my dog jump on a Like if I'm walking along, I look at, I look at my environment and I see what's out there and I treat the whole thing like an amusement park. So can my dog walk along a grate that's on the road? Can they jump up on a retaining wall? Um, can they go under a seat? Can they go over a seat? If there's a, a, you know, a bridge um, and a tunnel underneath it, can I go through the tunnel without the dog freaking out and going, oh, my God, these noises are just, you know, it's too much. So I find that when I have a fearful dog, the first thing I want to do is start to build confidence. And we can do that, obviously, by doing those agility, fun type environmental things. I definitely do that. And then I also use a fair bit of food. So what does the dog do? Will the dog take food from the ground when they're around me? Um, my wife, Kat, she calls it piss off training. So as the dog walks in towards her, she throws the food away. So the dog like pisses off away from her, grabs the food, and then we'll walk back in. And then she throws the food away. So the dog's turning that pressure on and off. And it's not a thing where we're sitting there and going, hey, I really want the dog to come and eat from my hand. But can the dog just step a bit closer and then I can throw food away? So I look at why dogs are fearful and then I try to make them tougher. So for me, that's what I look, especially when the dogs are on lead. And then I find that as they get better and better and better at being less reactive, they become more confident. Well, it's probably the other way, right? They become more confident and then they become less reactive. Mm. So that's what I've found works really, really well. But then there's the other person at the end of the lead. And what happens, I feel, is we go right back to the start of this, right? a dog who's on a tight lead and then they get frustrated. If they feel that they can't move out of this because they feel that they're held, held in position and maybe then the dog barks and maybe the other dog moves away and then the person who owns the barky dog kind of brings them away or lifts them up or whatever, or maybe it scares that person 
and then they lose trust in the dog and then they lose the ability to introduce the dogs correctly. So as I build the confidence in the dog and then they can start to see the dog getting better and not reacting as much, then you see the person's confidence start to come back as well. Mm. So I think part of it's a twofold problem, yeah. right? Like you mm. said it before, Panos, about, you know, we're, we're teaching the people. So part of it for me in these circumstances is definitely teaching the dog to be more confident, but it's also teaching the person to be you know, more confident and have trust that the dog can do the right thing. Because I feel that something that the people, the people don't do well enough is they don't give the dog enough of a chance to prove themselves correct. So we see this where people are like, the dog might look at another dog and they're like, no, don't look at the other dog. I'm like, why can't he look at the dog? Mm. And they're like, well, he was going to. I'm like, yeah, but what if he didn't? Mm-hmm. What if he looked at the dog and then turned around and looked at you? We've already created this awesome reward history. We've shown the dog to pay attention to us. What if he didn't? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, but he does. I'm like, okay, just wait. And then sometimes the dog will look. And then they look back at the owner and they're like, yeah, but I've got to wait. I'm like, no, reward him now. Like, <laughs> just did the thing you've been asking him to do. Yeah. So I, I think it kind of comes twofold. I, I feel that we can build the confidence in the dog to become tougher and, and more confident. But I think we can also do the same for the people at the other end of the lead. Yeah, good points. And maybe thinking about it now, we've gone backwards. Focus, engagement, for build the confidence, we get less re- less leash reactivity, but we get employed because we see the leash reactivity. We have a lack of confidence. We need to build focus and engagement. So it's like we're constantly working backwards to get to the beginning because humans generally will see a problem and try to fix problems. We want to work, see solutions and solutions to leash reactivity. If the dog is scared and insecure is working on that counter conditioning desensitization by saying, yeah, there's an aversive stimulus up ahead, something that's very bad to you. And normally barking at it makes it go away because of course people are going to continue walking anyway. So then we say, Hey, if you focus back on me, which we'll talk about how to do that, I guess um, we say your name, you look at me, a mark and reward. Then over time that bad experience, that bad stimulus in the distance becomes now something positive and we change the dog and how he feels. I was listening to Michael Ellis today and he said something awesome. He goes, Classical conditioning is making an association with the neutral stimulus. Counter conditioning is creating the same exact process with a negative stimulus, something that is, is, and I thought something simple, we all know that, but just saying it that clearly makes it just that little bit more clear about what it is that we want. We want the dog to feel different. And, um, and normally, as you say, you know, we see the dog. I see the dog before my dog sees it, so I put pressure on. The dog feels the pressure, goes, where the hell's that dog? He sees the dog, starts barking, the dog disappears, we take the pressure off. The dog's like, huh, well, I can't make the dog go away, and the pressure goes off. And us as dog trainers know that, but when dog owners hear that, they're like, why didn't anyone tell me this before? This makes no sense. But then it's not as easy as just go, well, then don't have any tension because the dog's going to pull anyway, and, of course, there's so much to it. And, obviously, today we're not going to get step-by-step how to fix that. But I guess it's all about understanding what is – like something that we're talking about, I don't know if it was before the podcast um, started recording, was that and it comes back to that biblical reference. They say, don't build your house on sand. And the point of that is that you don't build your whole life and everything you know on no foundation because when the tide comes in, everything crumbles. So have work and work hard on good foundations, even if it takes longer than you think, because then you can start building whatever it is you want from there. And when things go south, 
in terms of in talking about confidence building. Like, for example, last year, Nookie got bitten and went around Bush. Dog jumped off the back of a U, just ran it. It was nothing no anyone could avoid, um, except I kicked the crap out of the dog and hopefully that did something about it. And I think it did. But, um, but Nookie was freaked out, like shaking like a leaf for the whole time. We're in the cabin and we're out for another two days after that. Came back, obviously pain meds, all good. But because we had foundation at home, things that we did all the time and it was, it was a guarantee, it was a structure, she slipped back in. I was expecting to be working hard on her to get her back up and there was actually not really anything. And I thought that was not, not like nothing. Obviously, there was a, there's a bit of hesitant with certain dogs running up to her. She's five kilos, so she's small. But, um, but foundation, foundation is what creates a good confidence. And confidence building is about not just – like we said before about socialization and playing with dogs, but socialization means be calm around dogs as well. I can walk past people and not say hi to them either. It doesn't mean actually, in fact, I may be antisocial if I say hello to every single person that walks past me, that would make me too weird. Um, so yeah. So I think, um, it was Luke, any, do you have anything to add about confidence buildings? I think folks engagement is going to like, um, kind of be the, icing on the cake for everything. Yeah, I think um, the way Brent described the, you know, like the, so is the leash reactivity, is it a problem or is it a symptom of a problem, right? In the sense that the more confident the dog is, <clears throat> the less inclination, the less need he or she feels to show leash reactivity. Like why it's like your, um, you know, your, your bully analogy is good. It's like the, the, the calm confident, calmly confident person is like, you know, you walk quietly and carry a big stick, right? And that's because you know within yourself, your confidence, you don't feel the need to be reactive, whether you're a human or a dog, right? Um, the one thing I do teach my clients just on a like a basic, I guess, psychological level is like, you know, <clears throat> in terms of um, fight, flight or freeze, when the dog's on a leash, if it feels threatened, you've removed its ability to flee. And there's probably very few dogs who would choose to freeze and that only leaves fight left. So mm -hmm, I do exactly. try and make them aware of that. Um, putting a leash on a dog and a collar is one, on a dog is, is a human thing. It's not a dog thing, right? We've domesticated these animals. And so there's definitely going to be situations that would only occur because of the way that they are domesticated. For sure. Yeah, I agree, Luke. Yeah, yeah, I think you've put that well. I, I want to add a couple of things. Um, on, on that point in regards to letting the dog flee, so we've, like, because the dog is now on leash um, and they can't flee, I agree with that, they can't. But if you know your dog well enough, you'll see the cues. So Exactly. Um, our old boy Zuka, so our Roddy, uh, he would, if he felt um, a dog was getting uh, too personal towards him, is probably a good way to put it. He was, he would be, he's, a, he was amazing with puppies. He was very, very good with puppies, and he was pretty good with most female dogs, but with male dogs, especially if they were a little bit too um, too familiar themselves. Yeah, a little bit too full of themselves. And, you know, they'd sort of walk up to Zuka and they'd sort of just stand a little bit taller and that sort of stuff. He was very, very good at – he would become really still and he would just move his head and he would just look at us. Mm -hmm. And it was basically – you could just read it and go, look, are you going to sort this out or am I? Exactly. And it was – he would be really, really calm 
and he would that so that was his that was his freeze right sure he knows he can't run away he knows we don't want him to fight but that would be his freeze mm-hmm. but he would step away mm-hmm. he would move away from the dog but he would orientate towards us whereas with uh with zia with puppy she will just get she will just run and jump out of the picture and she'll just run into the back of the jump up into the back of the ute mm-hmm. so if there's if she's off lead and i'm working with her and then another dog starts to come up towards her or, or charges towards her or whatever and we're around the car or around the ute she'll just jump up into the back of the ute um any other scenario you know there's whole different scenarios of things that you'd do in regard like i'd just get my dog to drop mm-hmm. and then i'd walk up and i'd catch the other dog or whatever yeah. right but in regards to those sorts of things i think um learning to read the dog and seeing what those cues are mm-hmm. like they can't flee but they can move away so that would be the process of like my dog moves away I praise them because that's them fleeing. I'll tell them to drop, and now I can deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the the nuances of the behaviors are there. Um, we've just got to you know make sure that we're reading it. You know, and then One. sorry, mate. And then no, no, and then the other the other thing that I find is um, quite important in regards to this, and and we touched on it before, is like as we go back through this, you know, cycle of teaching the dog, you know, loose lead walking, focus, engagement, building confidence and that then at the end, ideally we have no leash reactivity, but if we start with leash reactivity, then that can also just become a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. So now all of a sudden the dog just sits there and he goes, Oh, what you said before Panos, put tension on the lead. There must be a dog, put tension on the lead must be a dog. So these sorts of things can happen really, really quickly too. So we need to then un- teach the dog and unlearn that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we can do that just through changing a dog's piece of equipment that they've walked on, you know, so that can work really, really well, yeah. but um, unlearning those processes can obviously, you know, take a little bit of time, but I think that's important just to point out too. Yeah, like totally. You said earlier too, Panos, like a, a lot of it comes from, like we're training the owners ultimately, right? Like, like Brent said, like the tension on the leash, like one of the first things I usually, I find I usually have to <laughs> unteach a client is to make the, is to relax their arm. Like as soon as their arm is on the leash, it just starts floating up like this. Because they're antis- you know, they're, yeah, because they're anticipating the dog doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and mm. often you'll ask them, they don't even realize they're It's doing conditioning. It. It's, they yeah. grab the leash and straight away they do that to protect their joints. Well, three things that have come up while you're saying that is um, freeze always happens, right? Like before fight or flight, like boom and run. So like freeze is like one of those things that – and if you know anything about dogs, especially if you're midden, if you're hanging around a dog and that dog just freezes up and just stays real still, you're like, holy shit, move right now. Um, the, the ones that make the big noise, you, you still get bitten probably, but the one that stops, you're like, oh yeah, okay, cool. That's my, my cue. So, um, and same with people, like, you know, you're in altercation, you're arguing, and then just there's that moment of freeze. You're like, oh, wow, he, he, he's probably going to punch you. Um, you can see it, especially if you're third person. When you're in it, you don't really see it that, that good unless you're trained. Um, and another thing that is important, talking about reading cues, and we did an episode, like I think it was a Q&A or something, that we say body language comes with the environment and the environment comes with body language. You, your dog doesn't show body language without anything around. So if 
So two things, if you're walking down the street, especially now everyone's masked up, the dog that I just saw now um, lunging at people, especially now with the masks on, the dog's even more sus of every single human. And like Spades hardly reads mine. Like my, my mask like, covers completely like, all my face up to my eyes. So I would give him like a soft little gesture that I would normally do while we're at work so I don't give anything too loud. He's looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? Because he's relying on my, on my, my micro gestures. But there's no use... Like if you're going to see the person in the mask coming, check in on your dog. What's your dog looking like? His tail up? Is the head crawled up? Um, the frown up? Are the ears pointing forward? Are we seeing hackles? What's going on? That's when you know you should be like, hey, and you say, Mango, Mango looks at you, mark and reward is what we were practicing today. We're practicing the name game, which um, I guess we're talking about focus engagement. And there's one more thing that um, that came up with when you were saying, Luke, is if we did board and train to fix this, people don't see those preliminary steps, which is, in my, in my opinion, sometimes those are the most important things. Go through the grueling experience of all the baby steps and all the foundations and show them every single step. So then in six, seven, eight months time, things start going backwards. They have known what steps they go back that three steps, fix it, and then go back. If they understand this process, then they can kind of, and the people that have most switched on and have most common sense, they can start adapting up. And they're like, Hey, I tried this with that. Does that work? I'm like, you get it now. Once you get the the formula, you just apply it everywhere because it's not very different, you know? Um, so I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think the best phone calls I've had are, or conversations with people who have um, worked with a, a further down the track where they're like, oh, my dog did this. And I thought, what would Brent do in the situation? So these are the four things that I did. And I'm like, oh, like, here's a shirt. And <laughs> you've got a job. No, yeah, like, exactly. th- those are the moments that you're like, you like, you get it, you know, like you understand. And now you're starting to think like a trainer and, Perfect. you know, now you're going to be able to problem solve anything that kind of comes up. Well, maybe he's starting to think more like a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe you're starting <laughs> to think like a dog. Isn't that what we do? <laughs> a werewolf. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Well, focus and engagement. We want confidence and confidence means that the dog needs to know what to do. It needs to know how to turn off the pressures around it. So if it's walking down the street and it's like, Hey, I'm really paranoid that there's a person there walking and looking at me. We would want our dogs ultimately to just walk past that person, not seeing it as a threat. But one thing that I think is a common denominator between most dog trainers, any dog trainer worth anything anyway, is that look back at me I'll give you some form of mark and I'm going to reward you with something that you want. Usually it's food because playing tug in the middle of the street when you're walking down past people, eh, probably doesn't work. So it wasn't very practical. So get that dog focused on you and give it something that he wants. And um, I guess we get that through focus and everyone talking about engagement training. And, um, you know, we've certainly talked about it a lot. What's your take on focus and engagement training and what does it look like typically? Yeah. Okay. For me, um, I stay out of it as much as I can in regards to me talking and moving and all those sorts of things. If I need to, I'll definitely make a couple of sounds or, or whatever. But I, the way I start is I'll just stand still and then the dog checks in with me and then I can just feed. And maybe I move and feed. So maybe I, I just step back and I feed. I can mark it. Yes, good. And feed, you know, dog looks at me. Yes, mark it and feed. Looks at me, mark it and feed. I want that onus to be on the dog making a decision. And I think one of the things that um, I see too much of that, uh, well, I, one of the things I feel happens a lot is people put the onus of, I have to say the dog's name and then the dog has to turn around and then I reward the dog. 
So then the dog can do whatever they want and they're just like, I'll just wait until you call me. So I can now walk along the street and then you will just tell me when you want me to look at you. Cool, I'll just do that. Whereas Mm -hmm. I actually want the onus to be on the dog to check in with me more and that way I'm totally out of the picture. So it kind of looks a little bit like I would just be standing there. Um, Let's say it's a training scenario and the dog's looking off in the distance and there's nothing around we're just out at a park. Um, there's no you know, real life stimulation for the dog. Like there's birds or there's trees, like just normal life. Right. <clears throat> but there's no real triggers and the dog's kind of looking externally and I just stand still and I just wait and I wait and I wait. And then the dog turns around and looks at me. I'm like, Hey baby, what's going on? And I just feed him, <laughs> you know, or, or I pull out a tug toy or a ball mm-hmm. or whatever. I can reinforce that behavior. Mm-hmm. And then I, I do that a bunch of times. And then ideally, you know, then we can add a distraction at a distance, critical distance. And the same thing, I'll, I'll let the dog look and then the dog turns around and looks at me. I'm like, yeah, and I reinforce that. So I'm putting the thought process to the dog of you're the one that's in charge here. You need to pay attention mm-hmm. to me and you can actually make good things happen. So um, for me, I try to take me saying the dog's name or telling the dog to look or watch I try to take that out of what I'm trying to do. If I need to teach it for separate um, obedience stuff, I'll definitely teach it. So if I say, my dog will look at me. If I say, watch, she'll look externally. But if it's something like a trigger, I might start with look and she'll look at me. For sure. Actually, for me, I want to phase that out. Quick. Yeah, yeah. And then just highly reinforce the dog's decision-making, right? then the onus is on the dog to do the behavior. If the dog's making the decisions, then they t- I find that they tend to pick that up and then do it more often and more frequently. They feel it's like their decision. They feel it's like this, mm-hmm. this little thing that they've come up with of like, hey, if I see a dog and then check back in with that, he reinforces me all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, yeah, every single time. And then all of a sudden I don't reinforce them. Like, oh, I didn't get one. And then pretty soon, once we can fade those sorts of things out, then we're just walking past another dog. Yeah. And those reactivity issues are gone because we've counter-conditioned and we've just gone over and over and over and over. But now it's the dog's decision-making as opposed to me saying, hey, look at me or pay attention to me. So that's one of the ways I really work on that, Panos. I see that. And actually, that's really cool and something that um, can definitely that I'm going to think about more because I like that. And there's something that I may mention later if I remember um, with staying still and how spades perceive that. But one thing I want to say about how I kind of teach the clients and I'm not really good at teaching heel. I don't really haven't really done it very good with any of my dogs. So I just say, Hey, when we're walking, when the lead's on, there's no tension. Anyway, if I say, look, you stare at me. Ideally we want look to mean stare. When I say your name it means checking. It means I'm going to maybe most likely I'm going to get you to do something. And when I tell you to do something, that's when you think like a lot of people, and this is what really pisses me off. People say, my dog only comes to me when he knows I have food. And I'm like, how the hell does your dog know you have food? Now, have you showed it to them? Can they see your pouch? Can they smell it? What is it? No, number one. And if they're all the way over there, how do they know you have food that far away? We want our dogs to think number one, that we always may potentially have something on us all the time. That's like the magic of what a human is to the dog's eyes, but also you giving a command or saying their name or giving some form of guidance should result potentially intermittently at some stage for a reward. So saying the word come should mean, oh, wow, you may have food. Um, 
but how, and I agree with what you're saying. So yeah, you don't want to have to rely on the look. The point of the look is to get the action, but with good timing, the dog sees the dog in the distance. You say the dog's name or say, tell them to look. They look your reward. Doing that three, four, five, six, seven times in a row, depending on the dog, the dog may just happen to do it. He just looks, looks back at you and you mark it. And now me, you and Luke most likely know this. However, people under, can misunderstand saying, oh, but don't have to tell him to look. I know we're telling him to do it at first to get a reaction, but the real like, worth of anything is that when the dog decides to do it. But that's a point, as you said before, we have to be in tune and be aware of our dog's body language, those cues. What is it that, and also are you even paying attention to what's happening around you? And yeah. there was something interesting in talking about this because, um, because it's so difficult. Like we can talk about it in theory yeah, at a critical distance. It makes so much sense. And slowly, slowly we'll make the gap smaller. Well, that's awesome. If you live in a bloody vacuum or if you're training at a boarding kennels, for example, you can control all of that. But there's going to be a time in, um, you know, Jace, so she messaged me and she's like, oh, like, do you do a lot of flooding? And we t- had a conversation, like I did an episode flooding and me and Luke, I think it was me and you did together, flooding and distance. And how do we reconcile the both? Because at the end of the day, if you're walking down the street, they will, you should expect the dog to just come right up to your dog's ass and sniff it. And in that moment, you're dealing with that dog in that moment. Would that be classic? Like, how do we deal with flooding in that moment? Maybe it's not flooding because we haven't purposely done it, but the dog's right there. And we've got to do something. And now what happens? That distance disappeared. Uh, we're relying on 15 meters and now we've got zero meters. And that's where, um, you know, people that are listening and especially if they're doing a lot of research themselves that be aware that, you know, the world has its own plans and um, not all the time can, can we deal with that. So if that dog is lacking confidence and we need focus in that moment, how I like, again, maybe the ex- it's extreme that a dog's right up your dog's ass. Let's just say you're walking and the dog comes out of a driveway. So now you're dealing with the dog two meters away. One thing that I've been obsessed about and been teaching for a while is the name game. I may have stole it from Michael Ellis, may from someone else, but basically, and obviously there's so much to it, but in in a nutshell, I teach the dog, I put a bit of pressure on the collar, say the dog's name. The dog looks, remove the pressure, simultaneously mark and reward. So in three reasons, like over time, and the, the, the name game refers to the word game in terms of when we say the dog's name, and we reward, we run with the food. We make that food so um, enriching to them. It's not just they're eating food, but now we're kicking into some prey drive. We want them to chase it, make a game out of it. And saying their name, because how many times does somebody say, does somebody say the dog's name? And it means 50,000 different things, like stop doing that and come over here and get off the lounge and I love you so much. So the dog hears their name, spays, and then nothing happens because the dog doesn't see any value in it. Where if someone said Panos, it's because they want my attention or unless they're talking about me. But basically they say my name, I look at them, and then they give me an instruction or whatever. So the name game can cover three things. Number one, their name has value. When I say your name, bloody look at me. But also we layer in a little bit of that pressure before saying the name. So then in the moment where the dog does see the dog coming out of the driveway, that pressure going on being the first thing, we want the dog to learn how to turn it off by folk coming back towards us. So in the occurrence that we don't say the dog's name, but we may put some pressure on, we want the dog to move, move with us and, of course, not move against it. And um, when we're talking about this, and, again, I'm assuming that a lot of the people that are listening um, aren't dog trainers, so you're walking down the street, your dog's unsure of what to do. What is the key thing everyone does? We go, holy shit, there's a dog, and we stop. And the dog's like, boom, four legs on the ground, just stares at the other dog, lunges, barks, does something, or maybe nothing. 
but it'll be nice if we're moving constantly. We see something happening, take a few steps back, make that your go-to, make, make making distance from a dog something. And then if we can layer in things like the name game and things like what Brent, you're saying, like when we're not giving much, what do you, what, like, what do we want our dogs to do? And if we can make that a key thing in everyday life, then hopefully we can use it when we absolutely need it. I don't know. What do you reckon about that? Uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, one of the ones, one of the things that we teach is like you said it before. Like our name is just for attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and we do this as a demonstration in the middle of class where there's you know sixty people out in the oval, and um, on the far side will be like one of our trainers. And I'll stand there and like I'll yell out cat, and my wife turns around in the middle of her sentence. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most annoying thing to do, but I love doing it. Because all our names are just for attention, you know, like if, if, um, if I call my dog's name, all I want is her attention. I don't Mm -hmm. want her to come to me. I don't want her to drop. I don't want her to jump in the ute. I don't want, you know, her to do her little peasies that she does. I just want her attention. So if she can turn around, she doesn't have to come back to me. Just turn around because it might be drop. It might, because there's distance between us. And then all of a sudden there's a snake that's gone across the path, right? And I'm like, I want to make sure that she's in a drop as this thing goes past because I can't catch her. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to call her and then she comes back to me. So for me, the the name is just attention. But I I think one of the things that um, when I'm talking with other dog trainers that sometimes we get stuck on is – the use of different words in training. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's important that it's like, I don't care what the word is, as long as we're consistent with what we teach and the people get it and it's yeah. you're getting the results from it. Yeah. I think that's important. Um, but you kind of mentioned it really nicely just a second ago, Panos. We've got to be careful on where we are teaching things. Like, when am I trying to play this name game? Is it at the park with 30 other people around me or am I practicing it in the lounge or in the backyard or the front yard? Like the first time I do anything with my dog, it's going to be when there's nobody around. So I can kind of train um, in a bit of a vacuum at least where I can control what I can control. And I know if I'm in my backyard or I'm up on the front deck or whatever that, you know, my dog is in an environment that I can actually teach them. So I think I need to be really aware of that. So where is my, where am I doing the training? So the first time when my dog hears drop and it's because there's another dog coming towards me, it's not the first time that she's heard drop. Yeah. Um, and then I practice these drills. So one of the things I, I talk about a lot is I will practice the drill of saying the word drop in like 15 different holy shit ways, like drop, drop, drop. Like I'll practice dropping the lead and like fumbling around and grabbing it, especially when I have a younger dog, because that happens. You know? And it's a different picture. Yeah. It's a different picture. So mm. I'll practice these sort of things where my voice is totally different. I don't want to sit there and go drop, drop, drop. And my dog does that beautifully. And then shit goes bad and my lead breaks and there's a dog running after my dog. I'm like, drop! And she's like, no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah, you know? totally. So, mm-hmm. I, so I practice these drills and it's it's very similar to, you know, what we do in jiu-jitsu. It's like you, you learn a technique and there's no pressure 
And now you have a little bit of a comprehension of this one technique. Now we apply 20% pressure and 30% pressure and a little bit more. And now we have a, you know, what we call in the hole drill. So now this one technique, we're going to put um, pressure on you at 100%. Mm-hmm. And then now that you've done that, you've done that a few times and you've lost or you've succeeded or whatever. And then now when it's time to actually go live and you're drilling, you're rolling, now you'll find yourself in this position. And the first time you find yourself in this position, you, you forget, right? You're like, and then you walk off and you're like, oh, bang, that was that position, wasn't it? I should have done this. And then you go back and you drill it a few more times and then you hold drill it a few more times and then you see it in another mm. live roll. And you get a little bit bit of success from it. So it's the same sort of thing. So I practice these sort of drills with my dog. I mean, I remember when she was, when puppy was quite young, I was doing everything we've spoken about tonight. I was out for a walk with her. Um, There was a retaining wall. I had her up on the retaining wall. She'd walk up, then she was walking down. And then there's a pedestrian gap. And then the retaining wall's on the other side. So I'm like, over. So she jumped from one side to the other. And I'm on a main road, one side of the retainer wall over the pedestrian area, uh, just a small path, you know, like 900 wide or whatever. She's jumped over that, landed on the other side. And I'm like, yeah, no, stop. And I just, as I kind of went to grab some food from my treat pouch, I've dropped the lead. And she's just started to continue to run down the retaining wall. Mm. Right? And I'm like, oh, come. As I'm like, shitting myself right next to a main road. Mm-hmm. So, She's just stopped, jumped off the retaining wall, just came straight back to me, and I've just highly reinforced it. Perfect. But I'd done those types of drills. Mm. It wasn't the first time she'd heard me freak out, you know? Yeah. So if we sit there and go, oh, no, we'll, I'll never freak out. My recall will always be calm, or my drop mm-hmm. command will be drop. Quite often it doesn't play out that way. So I practice these sorts of drills when I'm, when I'm teaching these sorts of things too. That's a good point. Actually, I remember one thing you said and it reminded me of what Sensei said to me one day. And he says, I want you to learn this so much. I want you to remember this so much that you forget it. And I'm like, okay. Mm. And I just did what he said. And then only later, obviously, I had to ask him what the hell he meant. He's like, yeah, of course, you want this to become muscle memory. Like some of the patterns and the basics have to be done so much. Like there'll be a time where you'd rock up and like, hey, today we're doing the stick patterns. And like there's six of them and we're there for an hour and a half. So we were done of just over and over. And then you should be able to grab that and something happens as a reflex and it should be there. And that's what should focus engagement techniques, like the name game, the look, your all your basic commands, all of these things should be reflexive as much as we want it to be. Um, but also it has to be reflexive for you because you may be like, don't go to the road. And it's like, that's not mm. a command. <laughs> Tell them, stop, yeah. come down, whatever it is that you have. So that's a good point. Uh, I like that, you know, practice it in different voices i love that because yeah there's times where i catch myself i'm like down and he's like what, what what's the immediacy and then you tell him again but in like a normal voice and they're like oh yeah i get it and it's like mm. oh yeah interesting that's a good point yeah, yeah I, I like practice the, the only thing i worry is that i don't feel like there's a lot maybe i could be wrong but i don't feel like there's a lot of owners that are as well probably that's why they're owners and not dog trainers maybe they're not as um, aware of this kind of stuff and they probably have to have a really good trainer like Brent to explain that to them and encourage them to do it. No, what do you mean? They just, they just heard it now. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah, But no, but I feel like, would, I don't, do you think people will be willing to put in that sort of effort or variety? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, because I, t- I, I tell it like this, do you walk your dog? Yes. How many times do you walk your dog a week? Like just roughly. 
No, oh, no, twice a week. Beautiful. And how long's the walk for? Oh, you know, 15 minutes around the block. Awesome. Do you do any sits or drops or recalls on the walk? No, not really. Beautiful. So all I want you to do now is just do 15 or 20 recalls or sits or drops on your walk. Okay. Same walk, just practice sits and drops and recalls on your walk. Okay. And then sometimes just think, because this will probably happen at some stage and this may save your dog's life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just have a bit of a higher pitch when you go drop mm-hmm. and just see what the dog does. And if they don't mm-hmm. drop, then just help them. Yeah. But just practice it just on your walk. Mm-hmm. So you're not doing anything else. My walk is a training scenario for me. Mm-hmm. It's not a walk. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Yeah, look, it, look, I guess to answer the question, it's about understanding what variables are and what variations are in that. Just look, I think one thing that, as we've mentioned a couple of times, is once we get that formula or once we get the understanding that dogs, and I think Luke, you put a video up that um, on Instagram saying that it's not the words that they understand, but it's the sounds that we make. It's the it's the gesture we make. Like I had the mask on. Um, it was like really like a bandana thing. It's all the way up over my head. And I'm like, come, let's go. Like I literally say it like that. Let's go. And like it doesn't make any sense, right? But space knows what it means. We're going back to the car. The session's done. But I was all covered up, hat on. You can only see my eyes like a ninja. And I did that. And he's like, I didn't get it. And I almost got like, hurry up. And I'm like, oh, you're the mask, you know? So um, it's interesting that even me get caught out. Actually, something. So we may as well quickly talk about it. Sun do some scent detection with the dog. So I've got um, spades and nookie onto it. Um, and with um, the help of Glenn, um, he's given me some step um, beginning steps. And the beginning step is, look, I've done no free shaping with my dogs. So I'm just sitting there and I had the jar in front of me and I just sat there. Spades came up, did a couple of times. I rewarded him. Next session, we're doing it. And again, this is like a confidence thing was that I should have rewarded it, but then like I kind of like missed it. So I'm like, oh, he'll do it again. But because I was really still, not looking at him, I was pretty, very, very neutral, just sitting there. He got confused, and normally confusion creates maybe, possibly, especially old old Panos, maybe five years ago, a bit of frustration. Frustration kind of leads to a bit of temper, anger. So he gets confused, associates it with my anger, possibly. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's legit. He just walked away and, like, sat at the gate. But not like, I don't get it, like, oh, you're, you're about to lose your shit. And I'm like, oh, that was interesting. And I got really upset by it. And like, I had like a little, um, a little vent mo- moment to Glenn. I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a bad person. Um, but only later to think, oh, wait, hold on. Well, he, he just, he, he, I love him. He's just like, just go existential rewarding. Like what's wrong with you? And I'm like, oh God, of course. So I did that for a couple of days and look, we're onto like step three now. So we're progressing. We went over that hump, but it exposed something in myself, but more of a deeper level on the training side is that the lack of, any free shaping means that the dog is super, super reliant on me guiding him. And guiding's great. Lure him, use pressure, use your leash, use your hands. But a bit of free shaping can really go a long way. And I think I saw the power of that now that he's like almost 11. I'm like, holy shit, there is really something to it. And even though, to be honest, sometimes I can't be bothered doing extra training with the dogs after training dogs all day. But um, but that little bit of the extra free shaping can kind of build on that it, it, it's like a focus and engagement is all about us. And I've been drilling that for a long time, but I think yeah, getting the dog to make a decision for themselves um, and get them to be a bit creative. And I think that's what I've taken from today's conversation. I think that's, that's key. That, that's been awesome. That's good, man. I think for me, it's all about rewarding the dog's decision-making. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if people can sort of start to do that, um, Tyler Mudo turned around one day and put it really well. And he said, be the most patient person your dog has ever met. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I, 
And it's really funny because I'll be at training, I'll just be waiting and waiting, and, and people just sit there and go, I would have said something by now. I would have like, and I'm like, yeah, I know you would have. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I will be the most patient person that your dog has ever met. And then mm -hmm. once I'm not here, you will end up being the most patient yep. person your dog's ever met. And they're like, ah, yes. got it. Because the dog will do something at some stage, right? And when you are free shape, this, the same with, you, you know, you doing your scent detection stuff the other day. If you'd sat there for another 20 minutes, maybe the dog would have come back and stuck a nose back in the, you, you know? You could have. Yeah, it's true. Who knows? But, but that door is freaking me out. Have you got yeah. a ghost in your room? Right? <laughs> <laughs> How does it swing open? There's not even anyone there. Mr. Smith just walked in. What a champion. <laughs> Show us. Where is he? Hang on. Smithers. This bloke even opens doors and shit. I don't know. Can you see him? Come here. We're in a dark room. Dark boy. He's got, he's got his got a on. on. There yeah, he he's is. Got his, he's got his pajamas on. Hey, oh, man. what a cutie. You're cheeky, man. Ah, uh, yeah. That's awesome. I'm like, how is it the second time the door opened? Where's Cat? I don't see you there. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing with Mr. Smith, I'll just tell this real quick. He's got like one of those Kong squeaky um, toys. Like it's the, it's got the big bulbous squeak and then it's got the big tail of rope that sort yes. of comes down. So he's learned how to squeak it and then sing. So he literally gets up in the morning, like at whatever, seven o'clock, at 7.30 or whatever, a <clears throat> um, couple of mornings ago, it was um, like three o'clock in the morning. He walks outside. He goes, squeak, squeak, ooh, and just starts singing with it. It's just hilarious. <laughs> it's, he's just the joy bringer. He's, he's a, such a ripper dog. So that's his thing. He squeaks his little squeaky. We haven't taught him to do it. He just squeaks. It's like he obviously enjoys it, squeaks, and just sings his song all by himself out in the lounge. Oh, that's awesome. He's a little champion. I think, I think a that's a that's the awesome note to end all of this on. That's a nice happy ending. I like it. Yeah, he's a joy bringer. He's a joy bringer. Everyone needs a joy bringer. Now. Yeah, and at the moment we definitely do. Else. And Panos and I were talking about this the other week. Like, um, you know, I try and take a moment each day to be think to use the you know the privilege of owning a dog to bring myself a bit more into the moment at a time when we can be very stuck in, in our head. thoughts of either yep. the future or the past mm -hmm. and like when i'm down at the park with shadow like there's nothing else it's just us yeah moment throwing the ball just like you know a man and his dog basically it's the best and yeah at, at this time and at this point in history like anyone who has a dog understands that but i think like they're particularly particularly needed those sort of moments at the at this present time for sure. And look, and people hear this and going, I wish that was my dog because I've been home 24 seven has been fucking doing my head in. And so do the things that we practice today so that you can have the feeling that we have when we're chilling with that dog in the park, because sometimes we take that for granted too, but no, it's, it's totally true, man. Our dogs are awesome. Teach us how to live in the moment. We need to teach them a few things, but um, Hey bro, thanks for joining us. It's been an awesome conversation. I'm loving it. You're welcome. A really, a really good mate of mine, Paul Connolly, turned around one day and um, he was taking his son to swimming. And Paul said, I think maybe his son was like two or three, right? And he said, I purposely leave my phone in the car because I'd hate for my son to be out in the pool and do something and then look up and I'm just stuck on my phone. Yeah. yeah. He said, and I look around at all the other parents and I've all got phones and none of them are watching their kids. And I'm like, Everybody does that with their dogs too, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So 
pop your phones down for that little bit and just really enjoy your dogs for what they what they are and and the personalities that they have and you know be the most patient person that they've ever met and l- let them show you something really cool you know it's um we can we, learn something from them that's for yeah. sure Amen, yeah we can bro. learn a lot good, from good them. note to finish on that was well said much love Thanks, brother friends. sending all Great. our positiveness to you say hi to cat for us and um we'll speak to you again soon i'm sure Will do. Thanks, Legends. I appreciate it. See you, brother.